To the graduates of this year's class, 1 Corinthians has some piercing counsel. Consider your own call. I have discovered that one of the easiest ways to get into an in-depth conversation with a seminarian is to bring up the subject of calling. Some of you came to our seminary because you believed that you were called by God. Others came in search of a call. And still others may remain confused by exactly what it means to be called by God. Although I encourage you to work that out before you begin your interviews. <laughs> Even those outside of the professional ministry are very interested in finding a calling. The late Vakov Havel served many years of imprisonment and hard labor for his resistance to totalitarian government. As you know, he later became the celebrated first president of the Free Czech Republic. But during his years of imprisonment, he smuggled out some of his deep reflections on life under the guise of letters to his wife. Later, these were published in a book titled Letters to Olga. In one of the letters, he claims that he can withstand any adversity if he can just know his responsibility. The secret of human beings, he writes, is the secret of their responsibility. This is the secret we most want. This is the secret we pray that the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit will whisper into our ears. What is my responsibility? What is my calling? Whenever someone makes an appointment to come to see me because they want to talk about calling, I know that it's only a matter of time before we start talking about job descriptions. That is not really the concern of the Apostle Paul in this passage, who, by the way, had the job description of making tents. The call, the secret of your life, to use Havel's term, the source of your life, to use Paul's term, is to know the wisdom of God. There it is, that's the call, to know the wisdom of God. In the wisdom of God, you were made righteous, Paul claims, redeemed and sanctified by Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, death, you were redeemed, you were made righteous, because he was dying to love you. And to be sanctified in this Christ means that you too now will find yourself dying to love. That's the wisdom of God for your calling. That's your life in Christ. Dying to love as the Savior was dying to love you. These had to be strange words to the Greeks in Corinth, who, like you, admired wisdom 
and like you, spent years of hard work trying to obtain it. There was not much in their tradition that claimed it was wise to find yourself on a cross. There was even less in the tradition of the Romans who used the cross as one of their favorite means of execution. And in the places where you will be called to serve, all of the so-called wisdom that you will be receiving is going to be devoted to strategies for avoiding the cross. In the days ahead, you are going to get so much advice. You will receive advice from the chair of the search committee that hires you. If you're going to a congregation, you will receive lots of advice from the angry member who's been in that church too long. I caution you that congregations do not have graduation ceremonies. You are stuck with that person. You will receive advice from books about how to be a pastor or a leader, from blogs, websites, podcasts. You will receive advice from your spouse and your friends in your covenant group, in your guild. And at the end of a long, hard day, when you're exhausted, but remember you need to call your mother, she will say to you, honey, I don't think you're taking very good care of yourself. As if that were a news flash. But these people care about you. They want you to succeed. That's why they are offering you their wisdom. But few of them are going to bring up the foolishness of taking up your own cross as a means of following the call to be dying to love. Even our brains are not wired to think that loving is wise or rational. In a recent New York Times article, the psychiatrist Anna Fells struggled to make sense of the suicide bombers who killed 44 worshipers in Egyptian churches last Palm Sunday. Her claim is that several of the brain's regions are known to generate aggression. So our hate, our cunning, our revenge appears to us as being very rational. We can even convince ourselves, even to the point of self-destruction, that it is always wise to hurt those who disagree with our beliefs, to those who stand against us. This is not limited to suicide bombers. It is also why our society today thinks it is wise to blame the mythical them for our problems. They are not like us. They want to take something away from you. Worry about them. They don't belong. They must be excluded. You can make it sound so rational. Hate 
rationally takes its time. It makes plans. It seeks revenge. It devises schemes. By contrast, Dr. Fells continues, love deactivates these areas of the brain that generate reasoning. This is why we say things like, I fell in love. It's as if to say I was rationally walking along on a very wise course for my life, then I tripped and I fell in love. Whenever I speak to couples in premarital counseling, I will eventually get around to asking them, "Why do you love this person?" At this point, they hold hands and begin to sit closer to each other, and their faces look a bit worried, as if to say, "Okay, I know this is a really important question." <laughs> and then the stammering starts. And they start to say a whole bunch of things that don't really sound adequate to the moment, and then finally, in exhaustion, they say, "I, I don't know. I, I just know that I love this person, and I have to spend the rest of my life with them." Right. There it is. That's fascinating, though. This couple can tell me exactly why they chose their professions. They can provide very rational reasons for why they prefer Hondas to Chevrolets. Or Cheerios to Wheaties, but the rationality just isn't coming when they try to explain why they're about to make a holy covenant with this person for the rest of their lives. That's the way love works. Now, I am actually a very strong believer in rationality, and have devoted most of my life to pursuing it. In fact, I'm so devoted to it. That I know its limitations. Consider your own calling. The apostle tells us. It wasn't because you were so wise that God called you. In fact, God has chosen the foolish to confound the wise. My hunch is that these lines don't make it into very many commencement addresses, but I don't write this stuff. <laughs> If you're not pleased, you need to take it up with the Apostle Paul. But I can tell you, it's not meant to be a slam on your graduation day. It's not even about how smart you are. It's just meant to reveal your calling. It's meant. To call you to the wisdom-confounding activity of dying to love. It's meant to call you to surrender your life to the community God will give you to serve. Though after all you have worked so hard to learn, even Paul knows it sounds foolish. But you are called to now give it all away, to take up your own cross, dying to love. Wherever it is that you will find yourself as you follow Christ when you leave here, it will not be long before you will discover that nothing 
of eternal significance is going to happen in your community until you give up. Until you give up both your dreams and your critique of the community. Until you give up your well-deserved expertise. Until you give up all of those other voices going on in the panel discussion in your brain. Until you give up, most of all, your anxieties. And just surrender to the call to love. Only then will God's dreams for your community arise. And only then will you find holy wisdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.